Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning. It is good to see you guys. Thank you. It's good to see you guys this morning as we are continuing through the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and open your Bible with me to chapter 2, we'll get there in just a minute. Uh, let me say good morning and welcome to all of you joining us online. Uh, we are excited to have you join us through this series. And if you are new with us this morning, uh, either online or here in the auditorium, welcome. We are honored to have you with us uh, as we look at God's Word together. Today is a special day. Happy Mother's Day. No? Okay. All right. <laughs> Sorry, moms. <laughs> but but I want to take just, just a minute uh, and, and just speak to this for just a minute. Today is a day to celebrate not, not just mothers, but, but womanhood. And, and the reason is, is as we understand the design and character that God has made woman in Eve in the beginning, we understand that all women have a role in nurturing and loving and teaching and encouraging and just taking care of us. And so I want to be uh, you know, clear and understanding of how God has designed that for us. I also want us to understand that today is hard for many. I want us to be sensitive to that. There are some who have lost mothers. There are some who want to be a mother but can't. Uh, there are some who have lost some mothers who have lost children. And so let's be full of grace today as we understand and celebrate moms today and women today and as we do that to those in our lives and around our lives as we say thank you as we say we appreciate you we love you at the same time let us give praise rightly rightly to the creator not the creation happy mother's day now i need to clear up something Several weeks ago, Pastor Tyler noted that I only taught on two verses. And I would like to note today, and you can write this in your Bible or in your notes, that today I've increased my capacity and I'm going to teach on three. All right? <laughs> uh, as we get into chapter two last week, Pastor Mark led us into this chapter, a glorious chapter where we see Paul kind of take us on this journey down into the valley and into the mountaintop. Uh, it's this before and after picture uh, of us. Um, some commentators have said he takes us from hell to heaven, from bondage to freedom, from gloom to light, from despair to hope, from wrath to glory, from death to life. In verses 1 through 3, just as a quick recap, you can see these amazing depths with which our sin has taken us. Verses 4 through 7, the amazing heights that God's grace will take us and takes us. Now we come to what many commentators call the pinnacle of spiritual life. I get the text that is the pinnacle of spiritual life with the words that Paul speaks to us. And although brief, they are immortal from the highest of places. And so you could say verses 8 and 9 today as we look at them are 
amazing grace. And verse 10 is the amazing work that comes out of that. And so Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Let's look at that together. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Verse 9, Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what we have just read is the gospel. It's probably the most elegant summary of the dynamics of salvation to be found in all of Scripture, just these three verses. This text is of utmost importance to the Christian, to our faith, to our understanding of salvation. This text is one to know, one to memorize, one to meditate on, that we don't move past this text once we get it, that we keep coming back to the well that is this text. It is foundational. It is basic. You know, there's a story about Vince Lombardi, who was a professional football coach. He used to gather his professional football players, the Green Bay Packers, and some of the finest players, you know, to ever play the game. And in the very first practice of the spring, the story says that he would, he would gather them around and he'd hold up a football and he'd say, this is a football. And then he would begin to describe to them the basic objectives of the game of football. Now we ask, why would Vince Lombardi do this with these perfectly intelligent, incredibly talented players who knew, first of all, what a football was and what it looked like? They also understood the objectives of the game of football. And the reason is because all of us need to ask ourselves from time to time the basic questions. And for us... The questions of life. Who are we? What are we here for? How are we supposed to do it? And it's important for us to remember the fundamentals, the essentials, the basics. Even though this text isn't basic, it is fundamental. It is essential. And so we have the opportunity to do just that today within these three verses. And so so what I want to do is ask three questions and answer them through our text that I believe are essential to the Christian faith. So if you are not a Christian, this is an incredible morning for you to join us because this is going to spell out and and hopefully clarify what the Christian faith is and what it is about. And if you are a Christian, may this produce hope and comfort and strength. May God speak to us. And here's the first question. What are we saved from? Now, in order to look at this question and to set up our text, we kind of have to do a little review from what Pastor Mark led us through last week. What are we saved from? I mean, the truth of death has a way of centering and focusing us to what really matters in life, doesn't it? It might cause us to focus on our relationships, whether that's with family or friends or, or coworkers. It might cause us to reflect on our, on our own lives, how we've lived our lives, the impact or the influence that we've made, maybe the contribution that we've made. C.S. Lewis said that, that our lives, is, it's, not about, it's not about the duration of our life, it's about the donation of our lives. So, so maybe some of those questions come, but for many, I think, The reality and the truth of death is a time that we pause and we consider what's next. What's next? What's after this? 
And maybe, just maybe, you found yourself in a situation with a friend or a family member or someone in your circle who's diagnosed maybe with a terminal illness. And you realize that there's a conversation that needs to happen, that you need to have, a conversation about eternity, about what's next. And so in that moment, you took that step and you asked the question. The question maybe was, was posed like this. Have, have you ever thought about what you're trusting for salvation? Like, what are you trusting for your eternity? What are you trusting in to be in the presence of God Almighty? And maybe in asking that question in that situation, you've heard a response similar to this. You know, when I stand before God, I just hope that I've been good enough for Him to accept me. I just hope that I've been good enough. You see, it's inherent in our human nature when we're asking questions of eternal significance to, to suggest that we are to be accepted by God by being a good person, by our good deeds, by looking at a scale and the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds. Whatever we, however we formulate it, it's all about us, and not really about God. I mean, it's typical to hear people express their hope and their assurance of their salvation, meaning their, their eternal presence with God forever in the terms of hoping that they measure up in some way, in some fashion. There, there are those who say the symbol of American folk religion are statements like this, and maybe you've said them, maybe you've heard them. You know, you just got to keep on keeping on and you'll be all right. Or, I'm a good person. I'm not perfect, but I'm a whole lot better than others. Or, God knows I'm not perfect, but I'm doing the best that I can. We know what that is. We know the term or the word that goes with those statements is called moralism. Being a good person is about living with moralism, being a moralist. This is not the language of salvation that we see in Scripture or in our text. But I will tell you, this is a big part of my personal testimony. I grew up in a house that didn't go to church. My parents, my grandparents, my family lived by the moral code, by the honor code, that if you're good to others, then you'll be okay. And although it was never really said or preached like that, it was, it was caught because we catch more than we're taught. But that's how we lived our lives. That if we're just good people, everything will be okay. I lived in this. This was what I understood for the first 18 years of my life, that that we just have to be good, and and the the creator or whoever that is, and and, and I didn't know who that was, they would just accept us because as long as we're better than than the bad person. And then through God working in my now wife's life back then, I got to sit under uh, a pastor and a teacher of Scripture who faithfully taught the Scriptures, who shared the, the truth of Scripture, the, the language of salvation. And, and my testimony for, for that is that for several weeks, I wrestled with the idea of needing to be saved because I believed my goodness was good enough. And God and I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for, for several weeks. I can, I can remember sitting in the floor of my bedroom just talking with God 
looking at Scripture and talking with God and, and struggling with the idea that, that my goodness, my moralism wasn't good enough. That, that someone needed to die to pay my price. And by the grace of God, there was a but God moment. And I'll never forget sitting on the floor of my bedroom, the recognition, the realization that your goodness has to be perfect. And in a moment of humility, I recognized I'm not perfect. Therefore, my goodness isn't good enough. So back to our question, saved from, which is really the first part of chapter 2. Saved from. Paul's context for saying in verse 8 that we have been saved by grace is his setting that we see in chapter 2 in the first part that, that all fallen human beings, all of us, every person in the world from every tribe, from every tongue, every people, every nation is dead in sin. And this is why we need to be saved. And again, if you weren't here last week, you can look back at the first part of chapter 2. As Paul sets us up for this, the one though, capital O, right? The one who is not dead in sin is Jesus Christ. He was dead for sin, really important to get that right, and raised for our justification. And so, so Paul says that we are saved by grace because of the great reality that we are dead in sin, and again, we've seen that from the start of chapter 2. So, so here's the situation of a person that is apart from Jesus Christ. They're dead in sin. They're enslaved to sin. They're walking in the way of the world and of the flesh and the prince of the power uh, of, the time, of the air, which is Satan. And under the just condemnation, the just condemnation of God. That's why we need to be saved. Our, our goodness isn't good enough. Our moralism isn't good enough. And if you reject the biblical teaching at the point of sin, then you won't appreciate the next part. You won't appreciate the good news because we have to understand with clarity the bad news first. If you don't understand the problem, then the solution's lost. It's critical to us in our witness. It's critical. So here's the answer to our question. We are saved from God. Saved from God. We're saved from God. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert on what the next questions are and the answers. We're saved by God and for God. We're saved from God, by God, for God. In salvation, we're saved from God. God should justly judge us for sin. He's a righteous and holy, just judge. And there are moments, and I know this is the pushback, why doesn't God just let everybody in? And those are the moments that you're not thinking about when you cry out to God for justice for you. When we want justice for other, on others, but we don't want it on ourselves. And so let's, let's be sure that we're humbled in this moment to say that, that in our salvation we're saved from God because he is a just judge of sin. And now we've already established that we're sinners. And the good news, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ is that God, who has every right to judge us, from whom we need to be saved, is the God 
that saves us himself. How beautiful is that? We can't save ourselves no matter what we've done, no matter if we attend church or we give to the ministry or we, we help others or we say the right things or go to the right places or do the right things. None of that. None of that is good enough. When Christians say that we are saved, we mean that we've been spared, we've been rescued, we've been reclaimed, we've been reinfolded into the family of God. So, so here's some truths about the word saved. Again, we believe that all sin deserves its wages. All sin. And there's no tearing of sin. We're not, we're not going to try and break all that down and say this is worse than this. Sin, sin. And all sin deserves its wages. What's its wages? What's the pay for sin? What's the payment? What's the debt? What's, what, what is it for sin? Romans 6.23, Paul says that the wages of sin is death. And so when a Christian speaks of someone being saved, we mean that that person has been spared the due penalty of their sin. They've been saved from We also mean that we've been rescued from the power and the consequences of sin. You see, sin inherently wants to have dominion over us, power over us. And we, and we are, before we trust in Jesus Christ, we are what we say enslaved to sin. And one of the things that Jesus does when he saves us is Jesus causes sin to no longer be the master over us. He becomes our master as well as our Savior. Savior, Lord, Master. We move from a false freedom, which is what sin does. It lies. It tries to tell us that we're free when we're not, to a real freedom in Christ and called to walk in that freedom. Another thing when we talk about salvation, we are reclaimed in salvation. When we speak of someone being saved, we mean that we are reclaimed. We are redeemed. Literally, the language of redemption in the Bible is being brought back. Being brought back. That God purchased us at a price. He bought us back. Reclaiming us for himself. He created us in the first place. But as we understand scripture... Like sheep, all of us have gone astray, everyone to his own way. And because the Lord laid the iniquity, the sin of us all on Christ, who paid the price, he redeemed us back. One other thing, to experience salvation means to be reinfolded into the family of God. This is what Pastor Tyler taught about in chapter 1 about adoption. Salvation is something God does one heart by one heart, one home by one home. But it is also something that brings us into a family. It's one of the beauties of our faith. It's a work that God must do in the individual's heart. And you're not saved because your friend or your parent or your spouse or your children are saved. It's an individual work. But then we are brought into the family. He redeems us into the family. And so you could say there's a corporate dimension, right, to the experience of our salvation. So it's vital that a disciple of Christ understands what we have been saved from in order to truly be grateful for our rescue. We have to know definitively how, how lost we really are. 
and how great the rescuer is, which leads me to the next question, which you already know the answer, but here's the question, saved by. So if one was saved from, that's bad news. Here's the good news, saved by. Look at our verses again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is truly amazing grace. And you look at what Paul says here again in our text, that salvation is by grace. And it is by grace alone. It is not by God's grace plus something that we do. It's, it's not by God's grace as long as we do some prior work of, of getting ourselves cleaned up or, or confession of something that's happening. It's not, it's not some prior work in order to receive it or to be worthy of it. Like I, like, I hear that, and I've heard that. Well, as soon as I get this out of my life, then I'll, I'll give my life to God. I'll surrender my life. I'll respond to the invitation of knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. Paul says it's not grace plus works, though. Or, or, and it's not works plus grace. It's God's grace alone. We're saved by grace. That's what Paul says. What's grace? I already mentioned it, but it's the unmerited favor of God. It's the unmerited favor of God. It's the love of God going out toward the undeserving, which is all of us. We've already established that, which means it's joyous. The grace is a lavish word when you think about it, right? Because it's free. It's free. Paul, even in reinforcing that it's by grace alone, in Romans 11, verse 6, he says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would, be, would no longer be grace. See, as soon as you and I would mix in any type of our own work, our moralism, our good deeds, our good works, we corrupt grace. It's no longer grace. Salvation is not of ourselves. I mean, not a bit of it comes from something that we have contributed it's not about our worthiness. It's not about our character. It's not about our integrity. It's not about our lack of sin. It's not about the ample good works that we do. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. It's what Paul states here in this beautiful text. So to answer our question, saved by, simple, and you already know this, God. Saved from God, saved by God. Paul says, don't, don't look in, don't look in for salvation, look up. Don't look in, look up. Look up to God. So, so if the first question was real depressing, my hope is that you experience the hope in the finished work of Christ. Again, what grace, what amazing grace. Look what he says again in verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith. Salvation is not something that we have attained by doing. Again, it's, it is something that we have received by believing. Paul's emphasizing our passive reception of something from God. It's not something that we went out and got. It's, it's not something that we accomplished by our own might. Some commentators they point out it's like not something that you like went out and pulled up yourself by your bootstraps and made it happen. Something that we simply received from God. Our salvation was received by faith rather than gained by doing something. In other words, we were saved through the instrument of trust. Trust. We just trusted God. 
Like, like my story, again, in that moment, a recognition that I needed saved in my bedroom, on the floor. I'd, it's like you throw up your hands in that moment of humility. Like, I, I, I can't do this. There is no hope for me in and of myself. We get to that moment where we just say, Jesus, there's nothing I can do. Nothing in my hands I bring. I simply to the cross I cling. And so we're not saved by our doing, not by our worthiness, but by God's grace received by trust. If there is no faith, there is no grace and no salvation. Paul and Silas are in jail in Acts 16. And they're singing. And they have this moment and the jailer cries out to them in Acts 16, 31. Look, listen to how simple this is. Listen to this. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. No one has sins forgiven, goes to heaven, or has peace until there is faith in Jesus Christ. True faith is belief and trust. Belief and trust. So my questions are, do you believe in Jesus is who he says he is? The Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. Do you believe he died for your sins for our sins. Do you believe he was resurrected three days later and lives today and sits at the Father's right hand? Have you trusted him to save you? Keep going in our text. Paul says, this is not of our own doing, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you and I were contributing something to our salvation, we'd have reason to say, Lord, I've done something that's caused myself to be saved. And that person hasn't. Therefore, I have a reason to boast. And we'd end up being just like the Pharisee who went to the temple the day along with the tax collector and he prayed, Oh, Lord, thank you that I'm not like other people. But Paul says salvation is of grace and we have no room for boasting because it's all of God. And as we understand the first part, if we understand that we were dead in sin, then we would understand this a little clearer, right? Why is this so important? Remember what we started with, saved from, right? We're dead in sin. So if we're dead in sin, what can a dead person contribute to salvation? If our salvation depends on us, but we're enslaved to sin and dead in sin and under God's just judgment, what can we do to save ourselves? And anything that we would do would be marked and marred and tainted by sin. It needed to be perfect. So the answer is nothing. And so salvation is holy of God's grace. And those who confuse this by saying that we must cooperate with God's grace in order to be saved are qualifying something that Paul says is absolute here. We are saved by God's grace alone. We don't contribute to a gift. Think about that. We don't contribute to a gift. Which leads me to our last one. We've been saved from God. We've been saved by God. Now what are we saved for? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By the way, this is my third verse. If you weren't counting. So if we don't contribute 
Any works to our salvation, it's a gift we don't add to. We just receive it. And, and by the way, it's not a cheap gift. It's not a cheap gift. It's a costly gift. One that was paid in blood and life. It's a costly gift of grace. Where then do our works or our efforts or our actions or our obedience come in? And it's so important to get this right. Our salvation is not the product of our workmanship. Our salvation is the product of His workmanship. You were saved because of His work, not because of our work. And our whole salvation is life, is the product in life, all of life. It's the product of God's workmanship. Notice how, where Paul puts the work in the equation. He didn't start in verse 8 with the work. It's after. We get that so out of order sometimes. It's what we've been talking about since I started. Putting the work first. No, our obedience comes out of, not for. Because if our obedience was for, you know the roller coaster that you would ride with God's grace or love that you think you would experience? Because you know the days that you're not having a great day morally. And how, how discouraged you'd be at the end of the day that maybe God doesn't love me anymore because you think it's based on you and not Him. So this is so important that it's rightly in order. God's love for us doesn't change no matter how many good things or bad things. Works don't factor in as a means or a cause of our salvation. They are the goal and the result of God's saving work to us. We, we do not work to be saved, but God saves us that we would be like his son. You want to know what the will of God for the Christian is, for the disciple? It's very simple. There have been books written on it. There have been conferences done for it. There have been many, many teachings on it. But it's very simple. Romans 8. God says, I'm going to conform you to the image of my son. That is a promise, and that is the will and the work of the disciple that God will do in and through the life. And what does it mean to be conformed to the image of Christ? What does it mean to be, be God's workmanship conformed to Christ? It, it, means, it means to become morally like him. We're not going to become God. We're not going to become the Messiah. We are not the Messiah, although the Messiah complex at times, unfortunately, happens through us when we think we can save others instead of realizing all we do is point others to the Savior. What he means is that we become like him morally. We, let me break that down simply. We love the things that he loves. We hate the things that he hates. We live the way that he lived. And what does Jesus say the essence of living life with God is? If you were to study the Gospels, Jesus says, this is the essence. It is my food to do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus' disciples are going to feel the same way. If you're going to follow the will of God, to be a disciple of Christ, the workmanship that God has for us, we're going to follow what Jesus says. We're going to feel what Jesus says here, where we are going to want to do the will of him who sent me. We were created for God's glory, and we glorify God by doing his will. So our works then, here's, here's the flow out of, our works then are to be a sign 
a sign, a testimony, a proclamation of God's workmanship in our lives. Justification is by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. For where there is faith, there are works. Colossians 1.10, Paul would write this. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We are not saved because we've done good works. We are saved because God would have us do work, good works. And so the good works are the results and not the cause of our salvation. It flows out of. And the, good, the best news about that is God equips us to do them. God didn't just say, go do this good work now. No, God, God gives us the helper. Jesus said the helper will come, the Holy Spirit. Dwell within us, lead and guide us. Convict us, triumph with us. It's not that God will save us if we do enough good works to balance out against our bad works. I can't say that enough. It's not that we are saved only by the grace of God through the work of Christ so that we would be joyfully obedient disciples delighting. It is. It is this work that we would delight in the loving of others to do good works, to love God, to love neighbor, right? The, the most important commandments, love God, love others, right? To care for one another, to look after one another, to show the love of Christ in every facet of life, to show real gospel humility within our own lives, to, to show the same grace that we've received that was a gift to us, to sinners around us. We're saved for that, not by that. The Apostle Paul is teaching us here that we're not only saved from God, by God, but we are saved for God. Let me finish with this. If you look at the text in chapter 2, you look at verse 2, and then you look at verse 10, the text begins by walking according to the influences of the world, Satan, and the desires of the flesh. It ends with our doing Christ-led good works and walking in them. See, our old manner of life apart from Christ is walking in the way of the unrighteous and disobedience. Our new manner of life is a manner of life because of the grace of God. It is a gift that we don't add to, that we would walk in obedience by His power, by His Holy Spirit within us, empowering us to walk in that obedience, to do good works, not in a way to make God love us more, but in a way to testify and proclaim God's love to others, loving God and loving neighbor because of the grace of God. We are saved from God, by God, for God, and it is an amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you. Thank you for this grace that you have showered upon us. Thank you that it is free to anyone who would respond to your invitation to know, to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. God, I pray if there is someone here in, in your house or watching online that has never responded to the invitation to know and believe in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day that they would surrender, that they have the moment like I had where they recognize the, 
the understanding that, that our good works, our moralism isn't good enough that we needed a Savior and by your grace and by your great love and mercy you sent your Son to be our Savior to rescue us, to reclaim us, to redeem us into your family forever and ever. God, may none perish. May they hear you speak. May they experience and encounter your spirit today, right now, in this moment that they respond, confess that they aren't the Savior, that they need a Savior. May they call on Jesus' name to be their Savior and Lord. And may today they be a new creation in Christ. God, thank you that in our new manner of life, you didn't just send us on our way and give us commands or imperatives and say, I hope you figure it out. No, you empowered us but the third person of the Trinity by your Holy Spirit to go with us as he dwells within us to lead us, to guide us. May we hear his voice louder than any other voice as he speaks truth, as he illuminates scripture, as he points out the lost and hurting. And we find strength in his work in our lives. And God, may we walk in humility, gospel humility for the good works that you have for us until one day the walk is done and we're home together. And on our way, God, may we call out and invite everyone to walk with us because the grave has no hold on us. The battle's already won. Thank you, Christ. Thank you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.